going to read from Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. This is where our sermon, our passage is going to come from. And so if you have your Bibles turned there, hopefully it will go up on the screen. Uh, but before we get into the sermon, let's uh, read God's word. May God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. The word of the Lord. Can we greet our brother, uh, Pastor Ray, as he comes and preaches God's word? And can we also turn to our neighbor and just say hello, let's introduce ourselves to each other and worship as friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so good to be here with you. Uh, I want to first begin by thanking Pastor Michael. Do you, do you guys call him Pastor Mike or Pastor Michael? Both, okay. <laughs> Depending on the mood, right? Uh, but I want to thank him for the kind invitation to come and speak to you all and to deliver God's word. Um, the more I get to know him, the more evident it is that he is uh, someone who has a deep affection for God, for all of you, and desires for all of you to flourish in what God has in store for you uh, through his gospel. Now, it's not my intent to put anyone on blast, but before we dig into God's word together, I have a very important question to ask. Now, when I received the speaking guide, uh, as I was invited to speak, I read that this congregation was made up of a mixture of families, dingles, and college students. The slide should come up. Now, I know what families are, and I know what college students are, but I have no idea what and who is a dingle. My guess is that it was probably intended to be an S instead of a D, since they're right next to each other in a, in, on the keyboard, but... Since I, I am in LA, I'm in Chicago now, even though I lived in L.A., um, I know that L.A. vernacular kind of gets ahead of the rest of the country, and so it might be a new slang for dating singles, maybe? No? Is that not? Okay. That's okay. <laughs> but, well, some of you are dingles in here, then. Um, but I love being in L.A. Uh, apart from being reminded that my jeans are never skinny enough or tight enough, uh, when I look at L.A. and when I see the people here, I, I just see a city that's searching for meaning. I see a, a city that's looking for connection and a sense of deep sense of purpose and a, and a transcendent reality. And so I'm grateful for churches here that are Christ-exalting, 
and gospel proclaiming uh, uh, so that they can be witnesses to the world. Uh, this is why I was so thrilled to be invited to preach uh, and to receive the invitation in, uh, digitally through uh, my inbox and to hear that this announcement uh, that I would be preaching on this day at this time was an absolute joy. Now, in, not, in life, there are some good announcements and bad announcements. There are announcements that matter and announcements that don't. Take, for instance, the announcement that... LeBron was coming to the Lakers. Anyone here a Laker fan? If you are a Lakers fan, this was a great announcement, was it not? If you were a Clippers fan, uh, this is why you jumped on the Lakers bandwagon. Is there even any Clipper, are there even any Clipper, Clipper fans left anymore? Not a single one, huh? All right, that's okay. The announcement that I was going to come preach uh, here was a good announcement for me, and I hope that it's a good announcement for you as well. And again, announcements can be good, they can be bad, they can be impactful, and they cannot be impactful. But some announcements are life-changing, aren't they? Think back to the time that you heard an announcement that changed the trajectory of your life. Now, some of you might have been living comfortably as the only child in your parents' home when, bam, your parents burst through the door with tears of joy on their face and announced to you that they were going to have a, that you were going to get a uh, new and more adorable younger sibling. Or maybe your family decided to move to a completely different place, completely uprooting you from everything that you've known and come to love as home. There might have been some here who received the good word or the announcement that you are going to receive an unexpected inheritance? Or what about the announcement that uh, you did or did not get into your dream college, or you did or did not get into college, or that you did or did not get a particular job offer? Right? Like the ones I've mentioned, some announcements can change the trajectory of our lives. Some announcements just affect us, while others impact the world and transform society in the course of history, and some announcement can alter reality as a whole. Think of any major event or technological development or natural disaster, and you'll quickly see that the world was never the same after such things. Now, my, as I look through the room, my assumption is that the majority of you are Korean-American like me, and for those of us who have family that lived through the Korean War, and have talked to them about how the war impacted and affected them, we will understand the reality-altering impact that the announcement of war and its subsequent devastation from it had on an entire people group. Lives were taken, families were torn apart, and the country was divided and split into two, all because of a single announcement, the declaration of war. Now, during the war, my grandfather was separated from his siblings and was left with the responsibility of taking care of a bunch of his nephews and nieces, along with his own five children, my father being one of them, because he was the only one who made it across the 38th parallel. Now, he ended up dying just a few years later because of the overwhelming stress from, having, from living in wartime conditions as well as having to take care of kids, that, that two, more kids than he could handle, um, but 
for him and for our entire family, this announcement was reality-altering. Further, some announcements are category-stretching, while others are category-breaking. Category-stretching announcements are things that make you go, hmm, I didn't think that would happen. They, they push the limits of what already exists. For example, we know that one of the potential outcomes of marriage is that a couple might have children. Bearing children, then, is a category. Now, though it may have been normal to have a multitude of kids uh, when, you know, back in the day, uh, in the past especially, rarely in today's day and age, especially in the West, do you, uh, would you expect that someone named Kate would have eight? But did you know that the greatest number of children born to one woman is, anyone want to guess? Huh? Want to say that again? Speak up. 17? 60s? How many of you think that would be crazy? 60-something. She's right. 69. 69 kids. In the 1700s, someone named Valentina Vasilyev, the wife of, the wife of Fyodor Vasilyev, a peasant from Shuya, Russia. Some of their mouths are like open wide. <laughs> Shuya, Russia gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. She gave birth to 69 children. But that's not all. Mr. Vasilyev, the Energizer Bunny, kept going. After his first wife passed away, he married a second time. And his second wife gave birth to another 18 children. Six pairs of twins and two sets of triplets. Mr. Vasilyev was 75 and 82 of his children were alive at that time. This is category stretching. But there are things that are category breaking. These are things that you didn't think could happen. These are things that, when, that, that you didn't think were possible, but when they came to pass, they made you go, whoa. Think about what it must have been like to hear about human flight before human flight was even a possibility. Right? I still remember trying to make wings after I read about Icarus in the Greek myth. Uh, in Greek mythology, who flew cl too close to the sun uh, with his wings made of uh, wax and feathers. All I wanted to do after I read that was want I wanted to fly. So I would, no but no matter how hard I flapped my arms, no matter how rapidly I tried to go up and down and try to move, um, I couldn't. At most, I would lose my balance and topple over or fall on my face. So I spent nearly a week trying to assemble my own pair of wings that would be light enough and expansive enough, when I was a kid, so it's not recent, um, to, to be able to try and fly for a little bit. Uh, they were made of leaves and those hangers that you get from the dry cleaners, and I thought, you know what, this is going to make it, because it looked pretty impressive, uh, only to find out that uh, after I jumped off the roof of my, our one-story ranch-style ranch home, um, I ended up twisting my ankle and watching uh, the, the leaves just fly off of the, the hangers like basically as soon as I jumped off. It was a mega fail. But imagine what it would have been like to be the Wright brothers, right? After years of designing and building a flying machine, as people told them that it was impossible, they finally achieved flight in December of 1903. 
where they completed four brief flights, the longest being 59 seconds and going a distance of 852 feet. Pretty impressive. But did you know that it may not have been the Wright brothers who actually first took flight? Some people suggest that it was Gustav Whitehead who in August of 1901, two years before the Wright brothers took flight, flew a distance of one and a half miles at a height of 50 feet in the air, making the Wright brothers' flights uh, pale in comparison. But imagine what it would have been like if you were outside playing in the field or hanging your laundry when you look up to see someone just floating by in their contraption uh, like a bird for the first time in history. Think about what it must have been like to be the first to witness such a thing. Who here remembers what the Back to the Future movies were like? Did anyone watch those? Some of you? Okay. All right, that's good. Throwback. Um, who would have thought that we would actually have 3D movies, hoverboards, personal drones, waste-fueled vehicles, and auto-lacing uh, sneakers? Right? All those things exist. And, and now we have the ability to travel into space as tourists, if you have enough money, uh, to use our phones to monitor our health and to communicate with the people around the world as if they are sitting right in front of us. See, some of these things are category-breaking. Now, in our passage today, we encounter a category-breaking announcement that's also category-making. Some category-breaking announcements are also category-making. And category-making announcements are turning points. Imagine what happened after human flight was made possible. What, what would have taken weeks to months on a ship now takes but a few hours. Category-making announcements are kind of like the discovery of fire, the invention of the internet, the creation of the smartphone or human flight like we've, we've been discussing, or even space travel. <coughs> These are things that make entirely new categories, and as such, they create turning points in history. Here in our passage today, we see a life-transforming, history-changing, category-making announcement. If you have your Bibles, please keep them open to Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. Because in Luke 1, verses 26 to 38, we see such an announcement. In Luke 1, 26 to 38, we see the angel of God, Gabriel, announcing the most shocking news to Mary. Gabriel delivers the most life-altering, history-making announcement to ever be proclaimed to this point. Never before has such an announcement been made, and never before has anything of this sort ever been witnessed by human beings. In verse, verses 26 to 28, we see that Mary, a virgin betrothed to Joseph, a descendant of David, was, about, was going about her day as usual when out of nowhere, an angel of God appears before her and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is a good reminder that we won't be and aren't able to predict, predict when God will choose to interrupt our lives. Now, Mary wasn't expecting this, but here she was face to face with the angel of God. And we see in verse 29 that this greatly troubled Mary as she didn't quite know what this was all about. Mary, as some would say, was shook. Then, in verse 30, Gabriel reassures her by saying, do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. He follows up by saying, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Can you imagine hearing this? What do you even say to something like this? But to this, Mary responds in the most pragmatic of ways. She asks a question about the mechanics. She goes, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Gabriel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. Elizabeth was barren. She, they've been trying to have kids for a long time, and she was past the age of having, being able to have kids. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. In her never-been-kissed state, Gabriel announces to Mary that she would bear a child. She would give birth to a son, but this wouldn't just be any child. This child would be conceived in the flesh by the Holy Spirit and would be God come down, as we see in verses 31 to 33, that he would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High, that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. Not only was Mary in her untouched state going to have a child, but this child would be the son of God, who would inherit the throne of David, would reign over the house of Jacob, and of whose kingdom there would be no end. Here is an announcement that the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, would take on flesh as he was conceived of a virgin. Fully God and fully human, perfect and sinless, Jesus would enter into the world through the womb in order to take away the sins of the world and establish his kingdom that would never come to an end. In the way that the discovery of fire or the invention of certain technologies <coughs> were critical turning points in history, so is the miraculous conception of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. Except the miraculous conception is the turning point of history. Everything hinges on what is unfolding before our eyes in our passage today and what will continue to unfold as you look through the gospel according to Luke. Now, this should give us pause as we're invited to be witnesses into the greatest, into the greatest miracle that's ever been performed. This news is breathtaking. It's the type of news and announcement that takes the air out of a room. At his conception and through his incarnation, Jesus becomes the great intermediary between heaven and earth. He becomes the bridge who mends the chasm that sin, was, sin had created. And by his blamelessness, from his perfect divinity, from his perfect humanity, and his holiness, from his perfect divinity... He submerges into the depths of a drowning world in order to lift the world out of its despair. As the church father Athanasius wrote, Our Lord took a body like to ours and lived as a man in order that those who had refused to recognize him in his superintendence and captaincy of the whole universe might come to recognize from the works he did here below in the body 
that what dwelled in his body was the word of God. This was the announcement that turned the world upside down. It wasn't LeBron coming to L.A. This was far greater. And this announcement is what C.S. Lewis calls the grand miracle. This is not only a category-breaking, but a category-making miracle that stands on its own. In the history of the world, only one person has ever been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we are privileged witnesses to this through the historical investigative writing of our gospel writer, Luke. In this passage, we see that promise that God sends forth his son to redeem the world unto himself and establishes his never-ending kingdom being fulfilled here. This is category-making because what we see here is the miracle of miracles. This is, this is as the gospel, uh, gospel writer Mark, as you saw earlier in, a, a few, in, in your sermon series before, would say in his first verse, in his first chapter of his writing, this is the beginning of the gospel. The conception of Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary along with the incarnation and the resurrection are unimaginable realities, yet they are as real as it gets. As the theologian Herman Bavig said, God can be apprehended, he cannot be comprehended. God can be caught, he cannot be fully understood. You see, Christianity is a religion that hinges on miracles. And miracles are often difficult to comprehend, aren't they? They break the natural order. They do not follow natural law. You hear about miracles in everything from the fields of religion to medicine to science and beyond. But Christianity is unique because miracles are central to its essential reality. I just heard a testimony from a friend of mine who was... Um, I, I recently met her. I, I had not known this because uh, she had gone through this five years before. But she was miraculously healed of stage four cancer, of pancreatic cancer. And her cancer took her to the very edge of life. It was so bad that she looked like she had been starved to death. She was bone thin and utterly frail. Her doctors at the University of Chicago said that she was completely hopeless that she needed to do whatever she could to live out her remaining days with as much joy and, and relationships uh, and love around her as possible. But through a very odd set of coincidences and through an army of people praying, God miraculously and graciously answered these prayers, and, was, and she was completely healed of cancer. She had never gone through chemo, never had surgery, but her doctor and her doctors have no explanation for what happened beyond the fact that it was a miracle. She was healed and has had a clean bill of health for five years. Now, things like this in medicine are not the norm. They are the fringe, right? They're not common practice. They're not at the center of, 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 uh, of what most people would assume to be medical practice. And in medicine and in science, even in other religions, miracles like this are fringe. But in Christianity, miracles are at the center of the faith. From creation, which was a miracle, to the resurrection, which was a miracle, and of course here at the conception, miracles are at the center of the Christian faith. Hear what C.S. Lewis has to say about it. The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. 
The, the Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, which is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again, bringing nature up with him. It is precisely one great miracle. If you take that away, there is nothing specifically Christian left. There may be many admirable human things which Christianity shares with other systems of the world, but there would be nothing specifically Christian. Then as C.S. Lewis zeroes in on the very moment of our text today, he writes, about, he writes that it's about one people picked out of the whole earth. That people purged and proved again and again. Some are lost in the desert before they reach uh, Palestine. Some stay in Babylon. Some becoming indifferent. The whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point Small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl had her prayers. That is what the whole of the human nature has narrowed down to before the incarnation takes place. The whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point. Small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. You see, Mary was this relative nobody from the middle of nowhere. She was poor, and the text tells us that she was betrothed to be married, so she was likely no older than 14, because typically a girl would get engaged at the age of 12. During the time of the event, betrothal was also the year-long period between engagement and marriage. It was a serious commitment and one that was not taken lightly. It was so serious that it was not like the engagements that we necessarily consider today because they would the betrothals would require a divorce in order for that to occur. But because they weren't yet married, a betrothed couple would not have had been physically or sexually intimate. Mary also came from a town called Nazareth, which was a podunk small little village in the middle of nowhere. Hope no one's from Bakersfield here. Kind of like Bakersfield maybe. This is equivalent to a town that you would kind of drive through and only stop in order to get gas or use the restroom and then quickly get out of in order to get to your final destination. You do your best to get in and out as quickly as possible. Likely, the town was made up of but just a few people, a few hundred people. And as we see in the gospel according to John, Nathaniel's response to Philip's invitation to go see this Jesus of Nazareth, of whom Moses and the prophets foretold, Nazareth had a bad rap. Once Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, his only recorded response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? For one reason or another, this was not the place to be or the place to be known from. But imagine what Mary is thinking. She wasn't no dummy. As Mary first heard the announcement, she, I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't hear a word after the phrase, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. I can imagine Charlie Brown's teacher's voice, wah, 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 coming after that sentence. You see, the math doesn't add up to her. As we saw earlier, she was a betrothed virgin, so she understandably wanted to know how she was going to possibly conceive a child. You see, babies don't, don't appear out of thin air. Despite what some of you may have heard, they are not... Delivered by storks. Mary and Joseph weren't yet married, and they had not yet copulated. As a result, there was no way that she could be pregnant. What this meant 
was that beyond wrapping her head around the miraculous conception, she also had to deal with the fact that this angel was telling her that she would have to tell her fiancé Joseph, as well as the rest of her small town that she lived in, that she was going to have a child out of wedlock, which was completely taboo in that day and age. You see, she knew that she would have a lot of explaining to do. Simultaneously, here she was being told that this child is also apparently going to be a big deal. No, this child was going to be the biggest deal. This child was not going to be the, some sideshow in an elementary school production. This child was going to be the star of the greatest show on earth. Consider what we're hearing. How could a child born of a woman, especially one who lives off the beaten path, become the savior of the world? Yet, this is how God works. Sometimes he works in the most unexpected ways. So here's Gabriel in Nazareth talking to what, would, what most would believe is the least likely candidate to be entrusted to hold the Son of God in her womb. It would be like giving uh, William Hungai the, the, the title of the American Idol. It just wouldn't make any sense. But God doesn't look at out outward appearances. To the most unsuspecting person came the most unbelievable announcement. And in an unexpected place, the God-man is heralded. Can you imagine what it must have been like to receive such news? How do you even respond to such an announcement? What do you even say? Yet, this relative nobody from the middle of nowhere, after hearing that through the birth of a son, a never-ending kingdom would be inaugurated, responds the only way that someone who knows their station in relation to God could. To the announcement that she was going to bear the Son of God in her womb, she responds in verse 38 with words saturated with a type of humility that all who encounter such favor and grace ought to embody. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, I think Mary was able to say this because at this moment she knew who she was dealing with, and more importantly, she knew who was dealing with her. She knew that she was in the middle of God's unstoppable, redeeming will. She knew that she wasn't perfect. She knew that she was inadequate. She knew she fell short. But where she was weak, she knew God was strong. And where she was unable, she knew that God was able. Sure, she should have doubted. Sure, she should have disbelieved. But behind the absurd announcement, she saw, as we are reminded in verse 37, that nothing is impossible with God. So she did the only thing that anyone can do in this situation. She believed. As Mother Teresa said, Mary showed complete trust in God by agreeing to be used, at, used as an instrument in his plan of salvation. She trusted him in spite of her nothingness because she knew he who is mighty could do great things in her and through her. Once she said yes to him, she never doubted. She was just a young woman, but she belonged to God and nothing nor anyone could separate her from him. And in faith, through this miraculous conception, God broke through what was humanly possible and did the impossible. In the miraculous conception, 
God broke through every natural category of possibility and performed the impossibility. He broke through the categories of natural of the natural and brought forth the supernatural. And he did so because nothing is impossible with him. You see, this is the grand miracle that God offered his only begotten son from miraculous conception to gruesome death so that by the finished work of Christ, he could serve as a mediating force between a righteous God and an unrighteous people. In Jesus, heaven broke into earth. In Jesus, the fullness of divinity kissed the fullness of humanity in order to reconcile the world to him. In Jesus, though we were once far from God, God became near to us. Jesus, though he was fully God, took on the fullness of humanity so that through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, you and I can enter into the presence of the divine. Because of sin, we were in desperate need of a Savior, but through the offering of Christ, which begins at this very moment, a remarkable salvation is offered. God broke into humanity because he knew we couldn't break into the divine. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is because of this that we don't have to find our own way to God. And as you've been going through a sermon series on generosity, it is also because of this that we can live fully generous lives. In fact, even if we try to get to God on our own, we couldn't. We wouldn't be able to. This is why he came all the way down to us. As sin caused an irreparable chasm between human and divine, through the miraculous conception did God choose to stitch us back together, and with the death and resurrection of Christ, through faith, we can have perfect union with God. There is no news better than this. Now, if you're sitting here wondering how you can get right to God, all you need to do is look to Jesus. Look to what we're seeing today. You might be discouraged or distressed. You might be doubtful or, or depressed. You might be drifting or distancing yourself from God. But he already did everything in order to make you right with him. Now some of you, even after hearing this, are feeling like this is a message for somebody else. It's not for me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't even know what I did last night. I'm living a lie. This is not something that applies to me. But what I want you to know is that this is for you. Jesus took on the most vulnerable form of flesh so that you would know that he is for you and not against you and with you to the end. You don't have to pave your own path to salvation because you couldn't even if you tried. You don't have to earn your way into God's good graces because you couldn't even if you tried. You don't have to work your way into God's good favor because you couldn't even if you tried. No amount of effort on your part can get you there no matter how hard you try. Instead, through faith, you can stand and wonder at a holy God would, that a holy God would dwell in fragile flesh with his creation and you can stand in confidence that, that you are held securely in his keep. There is just no category for this. This is an entirely different category. It stands on its own. It's completely set apart. As a result, all you need to do is have faith and trust in him. All you need to do is run into his arms. All you need to do is loosen your grip. For at this moment, as he sits on the throne of David, as he reigns over the house of Jacob, as he, Jesus has his arms stretched out, 
to welcome you into his kingdom that will never end. A kingdom in which all that is right will be, well, all that is wrong will be made right, and all that is upside down will be turned right side up. It is a kingdom in which you don't have to earn a thing because by his blood he has paid it all. And this, like the conception, is a miracle. It is a miracle that we can stand before God face to face unashamed. It is a miracle that there's nothing more that you need to do in order to earn your keep. It is a miracle that you don't have to go before him with all of your act together and all your stuff together. It's a miracle that you don't have to approach a perfect God as a perfect person. It is a miracle that you can go before him just as you are. And it is a miracle that all you need to do is respond like Mary and say, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you knowing that we cannot fully comprehend the miracle that your conception, your birth, your life, and your death, and your resurrection are. Lord, what we see are glimmers of it, and we see your glory in it as, a, uh, as a grace in which you have provided for us. It is a miracle that we're able to sit here and hear your word proclaimed. It's a miracle that we can sing songs of praise to you without fear of persecution. It is a miracle that we can be a part of a community that, that bears your name. And it is a miracle that we can bear the mark of Christ on our lives. It is a miracle that, that Lord, you have made us righteous in you through faith by grace. And it is a miracle that we are your beloved children with whom, in whom you are well pleased. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn our right standing before you. We don't have to earn our way into your kingdom because Jesus did all that for us. You paved the way where we couldn't go on our own. We couldn't tread on our own. And I pray that those who are struggling to take hold of this truth, to, to believe in this truth, that, Lord, you would, you would be the one to assist them where there is a lack of faith, Lord, would you instill and infuse faith in them? If people feel like they are too far from you at this point, I pray that, Lord, you would remind them that you are the one that drew near to them and that you love them beyond all measure and all word. I just pray that you would bless this congregation and this community as they seek to be a witness into uh, the surrounding neighborhood, into, this, into the Tri-Valley area. I pray, Lord, that they would be witnesses to the gospel in word and deed, that they would love you as, uh, and that, that, that their love for you and their love for one another would be seen and that people who see their love for one another would know that you are the one who sent them. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.